there's Christians who have testified, not just Christians, people throughout the age when they've prayed this prayer, their lives have changed. I remember one character from our old church in London called Arnie. You remember Arnie, don't you? Arnie was exactly how he stands. Big Scots guy, massive. He would even could, I think, probably beat Tom Saw in an arm wrestle. He was that sort of inner strength of a guy. Uh, uh, you know, really strong chat. And had quite a, a, a pass to prove that he would be, he'd more than beat you in an arm wrestle. He'd do some other stuff to you as well. So he had that sort of pass. And he told me the story when he was in prison, um, waiting for his court trial, and, and just feeling remorse over all the things he had done. And out of the blue, he remembered the Lord's Prayer that he was taught at school. And he spent the whole night just reciting it and crying the Lord brain the Lord's Prayer. The next morning comes, he comes to court, and the sentences are a lot more lenient than he anticipated. And for him, his life began to change at that point, actually, because he saw the connection between that prayer and what was happening around him. That prayer and who he was becoming as a person. He went on a journey to discover more about the way of Jesus. It's a really uh, wonderful story. He's still a character, Arnie. It was, you know, it wasn't sort of, a, uh, it was a rough diamond and all that kind of stuff. But it was at that, praying that prayer changed his life. So here's a few quotes just to kind of warm us up for it. Next slide. Thank you, Tom. I'm not sure if you can see it, but Carl Barth said to... Cl- I can't say that word. C-L-A-S-P. That's the word, yeah. Uh, The hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So prayer isn't just this kind of sweet, dainty thing that we say every morning. It's the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. Dominic Crossan said, The Lord's Prayer is both a revolutionary manifesto and a hymn of hope. And Rowan Williams, he used to run the Anglican Church, come across him. Uh, He said this, if somebody said, give me a summary of Christian faith on the back of an envelope, the best thing to do would be to write out, it should be out, not R, to write out the Lord's Prayer. It's cool, cool little quotes, aren't they? So for Carl, I'm sorry they're all, all male actually, for Dominic and for Rowan, all of their quotes are saying that actually there's something remarkable about this prayer. But it's a fascinating prayer as well. So it's a very strange uh, prayer. Next slide, thank you. Dominic Crossan says this. I don't know if you can see it. He says, it is the strangest prayer because it is prayed by all Christians, but it never mentions Christ. It is prayed in all churches, but it never mentions church. It is called the Lord's Prayer, but it never mentions Lord. It is prayed by conservative evangelicals, but it never mentions the Bible. It's prayed by Pentecostals, but it never mentions the Holy Spirit. It is prayed by Catholics, but never mentions the Pope. It is prayed by evangelists, but never invites Jesus into our lives, and so on and so on. You can get get that there's something amazing about that prayer. It transcends all of our own little kind of tribal dispositions, isn't it, in our Christian faith? You know, the whole range from Catholic to raving evangelist to turn or burn or we're all in it. To, wherever you are on the kind of spectrum of faith, as it were, actually, what's really interesting, it doesn't mention any of those things that we all think are really important. As Jesus often does, he kind of has a slightly different agenda and tune that we need to fall into. So next slide. Thank you, Tom. So... I'm going to mention just three things a little bit very quickly about the phrase, our Father. Just before I do that, though, um, 
If what the scholars say is true, and it might be, who knows? Who knows, Freddie? Who knows? But it might be true, you never know, uh, that um, some of Paul's letters, you know, Paul, remember him? He wrote a lot of the, the New Testament, were written down before the Gospels, okay? So they were written down. So Paul, because he likes writing, he wasn't dyslexic, he, he was write, writing it all down because the Gospels were kind of, you know, it was word of mouth, not Chinese whispers, it's kind of Middle Eastern whispers. It was all going around. And uh, some of the, the letters of Paul were written down before the Gospels. And if that's true, one of the earliest prayers that we have from Paul that he wrote was this, is that our spirit testifies with God's spirit that we are children of God. And we cry out, can you remember the verse? Cry out, Abba Father, Abba Father. And the prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray, the first opening word is our Father. So there's something about when the Holy Spirit comes that we all declare in one sense, in one way, this phrase, our Father. And we're going to look at three things briefly. The first, thanks Tom, uh, is... um, that our Father is um, personal. It's really interesting. Hats are getting on now. Everyone's feeling, feeling the cold. Okay, we'll keep it brief. We'll keep it brief. We'll do a little workout later. Really interesting, isn't it? The metaphor that Jesus uses in prayer. Jesus could, could have not chosen Father. You know, and I'll probably say if he's in our age, he probably wouldn't actually. He could have used Creator, our Creator. And that's non-gender. That deals with lots. Of, that deals with lots of different issues straight away. No, you know, everyone's got a story about how bad their de- their dad was, haven't we? We've all got that somewhere, you know. Um, but actually, he could have used creator, and that could have sorted out. Or he could have used sustainer. He could have used king. He could have used judge. He could have used savior. He could have used all these different kind of non-gender uh, words to describe God. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, that to use them as metaphors. But he didn't. But he uses our Father. And the first thing to note about the use of our Father, that it is incredibly personal. But why? Why did Jesus use that? Why didn't he say our mother? Okay? Why didn't he say our mother? Why did he say our Father? Now, one of the reasons I think is, is, is this. If you look at how Jesus defines what a father is, you go to the prodigal son. Remember that Roach spoke about brilliantly a few months ago. You speak, you speak about the prodigal son. And in the story of the prodigal son, the father does everything that fathers shouldn't do back in those days. He runs. Fathers in those days, they didn't run. Everybody came to them. And to run, he would have had to lift up his skirt because men wore skirts in those days. He would lift them up and he would have shown his knees. And in those days, you never show your knees if you're... I mean, you don't do it nowadays, do you really? But if you can avoid it, part run, close your eyes. Too many knees, man. Uh, but, but that... He, Everything that he, he was telling about that story, which is how Jesus defines fatherhood, breaks the patriarchal model of what it means to be a dad that's command and controlling and calls the shots. So the model of fatherhood that Jesus had in mind was non-patriarchal. Do you understand? What, yeah, understand? I'm kind of going through this quickly because we're cold. Uh, so it's a non-patriarchal. So when Jesus calls God Father, he doesn't have in mind a patriarchal kind of patronizing God, but he has in mind a God full of overflowing love, a God who gets on the ground, as it were, runs towards his children and welcomes us with open arms. He has a very different model of, of God, in, of fatherhood in mind. And do you know what? In those days, they had bad dads as well. Actually, probably worse because you didn't even name your kids till they're about eight or nine just in case they died. Do, do you, that you, just, you, couldn't, you didn't want to name them because it gets too personal. You just call them it or you know, ginger or whatever, you know, that you wouldn't, you wouldn't name them, you know, it would, it would get, well, then you'd be naming them, so you wouldn't even call them that, you know, it would be highly uh, a dangerous thing to do, because you might get attached, so, so when Jesus says our father, it wasn't because in those days, their dads were really, really good, and everyone knew what they're talking about, humans have had the same problems throughout (laughs) 
our evolution, our beginning. So when Jesus says Father, you've got to keep in mind what he has in that content. And that's a God who is overflowing with love. So the first thing to know about the Lord's Prayer, it's deeply, deeply personal. When Jesus asks us to call God our Father, he's looking at us and he's wanting us to have in mind that idea of God, a God who is overwhelmingly in love and caring for us, who runs down the road to meet us. To meet us. It's an incredible personal thing. And I, I've known so many Christians like you do, or people who think they follow the way of Jesus. They go to church, they sing the songs, they do all the stuff, blah, 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 blah. Know the liturgy better than, than I do and all that stuff. But you think, wow. Do you really know God loves you, <laughs> cares for you, wants some close relationship with you? Do you know he's there for you, wants to invade your heart with love and not kind of defend the institution, but to fill it with love? That's the kind of way of Christ. Remember, we looked at last week that when the woman anointed the feet oil of Jesus, she didn't recite the creed when she saw Jesus. She just overflowed with love. That's the kind of response we need to have to God, that overflowing with love towards him because God first loves us. You know, there was a little story of my mate, uh, not that you know him, called Henry. When, um, he, when he met this lovely Christian man called Roger, uh, he's, uh, Henry, who was about four or five, said to his dad, he said, oh, I really like that old man Roger who was preaching at the front. And his dad said, well, why do you like him? Because he likes me. That's great, isn't it? That's great, isn't it? That's, why do we like God? Why do we love God? Because God first loved us. The second thing about the Lord's Prayer is it's personal, but also it's political. Surprise, surprise. Um, okay, so Jesus never spoke in a vacuum. So um, Boris Johnson, have you come across him? You've met him, haven't you? He's not been here. He hasn't come to Dudley yet. Uh, but Boris was asked a question today by Sophie Rich uh, on uh, Sky News. And uh, she said something like to him, um, have you ever run in a field of wheat? Okay. <laughs> Exactly. You all know what she's going on about. If you don't know the story, yeah, yeah. Theresa May, that was the naughtiest thing she ever did was run in a field of wheat. She was just wild. And uh, mind you, she kept things together. Anyway, she was wild. And so we all know what Sophie was asking Boris. What's the worst thing you've done? And obviously, he's never going to reply, is he? And Because uh, I think the program's only 10 minutes. So, um, so anyway, so that was, that was that. So do you see questions and meanings and words and phrases, they carry with it far more when you know what they mean by it, it carries far more than just actually the question about have you run in a field of wheat? It, it, you know there's more going on there. When Jesus uses his phrase, our Father, he's not just talking about a loving God. He's doing something a little bit political, very political in the, in the broadest sense of the term. Not party political, but in the broadest sense of the term. Because he's speaking as a Jew. Jesus was a Jew. He wasn't a Christian. He was a Jew. And he was speaking as a Jew. And he was speaking to Jews in a Jewish culture. There's no Christians around at the time. So when he said, our father, it's like alarm bells, positive alarm bells start ringing. Things get triggered in the back of their memory. their kind of long distant memory. And they're like, I remember that. I remember. I, I remember. That's what they'd be doing. I remember the day when Moses went to Pharaoh. Because we now feel like we've got all these Romans around and we're like entrapped again by like another Pharaoh, another emperor. And I remember when Moses went to Pharaoh and he said, uh, uh, God says, let my, let my children go. Let my son go. And I'm going to be a father to them. So they're like, gosh, Jesus, what he's saying is, 
It's like what God did years ago in the Exodus, like this political, political statement of getting people out of slavery, out of bondage, out of under a domination system, bringing them to a place of promised land. That kind of God, in the Old Testament, they called that's what a father does. And so now Jesus is saying, he's calling God Father. Oh, I get it. We're on a new exodus. This is exciting. I get it. Something's happening here, political. Do, do you get that? Have I explained myself clear enough or not? If not, ask Sarah Bardell because she's fresh out of Bible college. But did you, do, you get, do you understand what I'm saying? So what he's saying is, is the first exodus was when the first time God was called Father in the Old Testament. It's not unique to Jesus, okay, Father. first one was in the Old Testament, in the Exodus, and they escaped from slavery, and they escaped from hardship and suffering and death and, and pain and anxiety and all the things that go with that, and they enter into the Promised Land. So when Jesus says, call God our Father, what he's saying is, get ready, there's a new Exodus is going to happen. We're going to be moving out again of slavery and fear and oppression and anxiety and moving to a new Promised Land. It was very very political in the broadest sense of the term. Now, most Christians have understood that to mean sin. So we've exchanged Pharaoh for sin. And, you know, we get freedom from our own sin and all that kind of stuff. And that's all true. But I wonder whether today we need to discover what it means again to say our father in a kind of broad political sense. I wonder whether it means that actually we've got to learn not to be slaves, but to be children of the living God. Not to be slaves to Apple, not to be as not the, the, the vice, not the fruit. And not to be slaves to, to Google, not to be slaves to this, to the big supermarkets, but actually to live in the liberty of the children of God. I wonder whether it's about human rights for, for housing. Have you seen some of the housing around here? People are living above these shops and it, it is just hideous housing. I, you know, am I my heart goes out to them. I wonder whether actually we start to say we don't have to be enslaved to the system that's creating us and the landlords that are charging extortionate rents. You know why one of the, the buildings over there are derelict? It's because it's owned by a landlord in Bristol. So people from Bristol and London own these shops, okay? And they've got no idea. They don't know. They've never been to Dudley. This, you know, I'm sure he's a lovely chap and all that kind of stuff, but never been. And so I wonder whether there's a bit we need to rediscover what it means to be calling God Father in the sense that turning slaves into children. Do you see, do you see what I mean? You, you're bringing people out into that place of abundance and goodness in our workplaces, with our colleagues, with the children that we interact in if we work in schools, that we're creating this place of abundance, of freedom, that it's, it's political in the kind of broad sense you know, those sorts of things. And lastly, but not uh, least, it's uh, inclusive. And we've spoken about this um, uh, a number of times. You know, there's a lot of debate in, amongst scholars about when Jesus says, our Father, is he just referring to Christians or is he referring to everybody? It's really interesting. You know, do you have to do you have to say a certain prayer and then God's your Father, you know, and you're in now? Or do you have to, you know, have communion? You know, where's the kind of... And actually, most scholars are now saying it's everybody's in everybody's in he's he's our father you know he's he's God in heaven you know in back in the bible days if you pray you turn and face the east okay you'd, you'd face the east when you pray which way did Jesus face when he prayed anyone know what he used to do it's a little cheeky little bit in the bible it says he lifted his face to the heavens he looked to the heavens I'm not just looking I'm not just saying God's there God is everywhere. He's our Father. It's a little, little kind of signal of this inclusiveness of Christ. He looks to the heavens and he signals that everybody is welcome. Here's the thing I want to say about inclusivity. So we're inclusive church. Welcome everybody. Any kind of journey or wherever you're at, you know, you're welcome, you're welcome, you're welcome, you're welcome, you're welcome. And we even welcome people we don't agree with. 
If you don't agree with us, it might be a hard place to be. But what my concern is that sometimes people can be um, sort of so inclusive that anyone who disagrees with us is not allowed in. You get on a high horse wagon that if you've seen Barack Obama's latest video, he's got a great little video about that. We want an inclusiveness, a bigger table where everybody is welcome. Even with people we don't really agree with are welcome around the table because Christ calls every, you know, the calling of Christ was to call God our Father, everybody. But essentially that beautiful prayer, our Father, is this call to actually God's call to everybody, that Christ has reached out, shed his blood for everybody, not just people who say the prayer. Loving God, thank you that you invite us to call you Father, which comes with so much baggage at times. But we hold on to that wonderful image that Christ gave us of that means someone who is overflowing with love and is redefining maleness, as it were. Lord, may it be personal for every single one of us that you love and care for me, for us. Lord, may this prayer be political in the sense that we are moving people away from whatever binds us up into that place of fullness of life. And may we be ever an inclusive church where we keep building bigger tables where everybody is welcomed. Help us to know how to navigate when we make a stand and when we learn to say the Lord's Prayer together with those we might disagree with. In all these things, we ask that your spirit would come upon us. So as Paul said, that we might all declare God as Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.